Hello, and welcome to the Calvary Chapel Southeast podcast. Thank you for joining us for our study through the book of 1 Corinthians. This letter was written by the Apostle Paul to the struggling church in Corinth. They were allowing the culture to influence them more than they were impacting the world. As a result, the church was crumbling. Paul's strong words of rebuke and encouragement teach us many things about how we as believers should live in a dark and depraved world. Grab your Bibles and let's jump in. If you have your Bibles, would you open them to 1 Corinthians chapter 13? We're making our way through the book of 1 Corinthians together as a church. Very familiar passage this morning. Perhaps maybe this part of this passage was read at your wedding. It's, it's very, very familiar, but very, very intentional and needed. I do want to just say one more. Many of you have asked about my ear. I've been dealing with an ear infection all week. Um, I don't I have any pain this morning, so I'm grateful for that, but I still cannot hear an ounce out of my left ear. So if I sound off today, it's because feeling, I'm feeling off today, but I'm praying that, that the Lord will get us through this together. So if you would stand with me for the reading of God's word, we're going to look at the whole chapter together this morning. 1 Corinthians 13, beginning in verse 1, If I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but do not have love, I have become a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and know all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. And if I give all my possessions to feed the poor... And if I surrender my body to be burned, but do not have love, it profits me nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind and is not jealous. Love does not brag and is not arrogant, does not act unbecomingly. It does not seek its own. It is not provoked, does not take into account a a wrong suffered, does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth. Bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. But if there are gifts of prophecy, they will be done away. If there are tongues, they will cease. If there is knowledge, it will be done away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, the partial will be done away. When I was a child, I used to speak like a child, think like a child, reason like a child. When I became a man, I did away with childish things. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I will know fully, just as I also have been fully known. But now faith, hope, love, abide these three, but the greatest of these is love. You may be seated. We've been learning that spiritual gifts are God-given abilities, and they're given for the edification of the church. That is that God has given gifts to his people, and he has empowered those gifts by his spirit so that we can continue the ministry of Jesus here on the earth. But there is something even more important than gifts that we're going to see this morning, Because a church can have a huge attendance, a church can have beautiful aesthetics, amazing music, powerful teaching, 
A church can do amazing and wonderful things, but if those things are done without love, they're nothing. What the world primarily needs to experience from the church, from us, and what we need to primarily experience from one another is not necessarily our gifts or our abilities, not our talents, but our love. Last week, we concluded uh, the study with verse 31 of chapter 12, where Paul writes, but earnestly desire the greater gifts, and he says this, and I will show you, and I show you a still more excellent way. We're going to look at that excellent way this morning. Paul, though, he is not presenting a contrast between pursuing spiritual gifts and pursuing love. I want you to note that. Like, it's not, I'm really into spiritual gifts, and the other person's like, well, I'm really into love. And that's not what he's getting after. What's really going on is that in the church of Corinth, uh, they were really, really, really into the gifts. They loved gifts. They were an incredibly gifted people. They were a dynamic church. But what the church in Corinth seemed to be missing was that even though they had all of these amazing gifts, these amazing abilities, and ministry was going on and, 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 and was happening, they failed to keep love as the motivating factor in it all. Jesus said this in John 13, By this all men will know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. He didn't say, not, not, they're going to know that you're my disciples because you're so gifted, right? You're, you're so talented. You're so clever. Hey, they'll know my, you're my disciples because you do ministry really, really well. No, no, no. He says, they're going to know that you're with me, that you're my disciple, my apprentice by your love for one another, Listen, spiritual gifts are great, and we need to exercise them in the church, but the greatest thing that we're going to see today is love, and we as a church cannot lose this, because at the end of the day, who cares if our church appears so talented and so wonderful and so dynamic, but if we lose love, listen, we lose everything. So let's dive right in. Let's look at verse one. It says, he says, if I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but do not have love, I have become a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. Now, again, as promised, we're going to talk more about tongues when we get to chapter 14. But Paul is saying here is that you can have supernatural speech, right? You can say the most amazing things. You can grip a crowd. You can say, um, you can have perfect language, right? You can produce, he says, the language of angels. Captivate an audience. But you're also divisive. You're proud. You can do, again, the most amazing things with your words. You're a dynamic, you can be a dynamic speaker. You can sound so spiritual and eloquent with your words, but you also gossip. It's interesting here, the phrase tongues of angels, it, it implies in some sense a spiritual authority. You can have, in other words, you can have deep spiritual authority. Maybe you're a leader. You know the Bible really well. You know how to connect the dots between Scripture and people's lives. But listen to this. If you do not have love, you have nothing. 
And as a leader, if you don't love as a leader, you'll end up using people and hurting people. Without love, your authority will be used again as a means to feed your own ego instead of building up one another and it won't last. He says it'll be like a noisy gong and a clanging cymbal. It's interesting, this idea of the clinging cymbal, Paul, good chance Paul is referring to these brass instruments that were used in Corinthian temples and in, in, in worship of pagan idols. And so you understand what he's getting at here. He's saying, you can do so many wonderful spiritual things with your words, but if it's not driven by love, it might seem to work at first. You know, it's so powerful, but in the end, it's destructive. It's not even Christian. It's pagan. Again, it doesn't matter how smart. It doesn't matter, church, how spiritual you and I might sound if we don't have love being the motivating factor. Paul says you're going to end up being like a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. It'll drown out everything that you're trying to say. It's going to be the the shrilling sound. It's not going to be received very well at all. He says in verse 2, if I have the gift of prophecy... And know all mysteries and all knowledge. These are people who have the ability to speak truth in exceptional ways. Whether in private conversations or, or uh, you know, on a stage, you know, with a large crowd. And again, we're going to talk more about prophecy in chapter 14. But these are people who seem to understand things and communicate them in supernatural ways. And it seemed, even beginning in our study um, in 1 Corinthians, that the church in Corinth was really, really attracted to this kind of leader. People who just seem to get things, know how to connect all the dots, they have all the answers. But listen, as we've learned, knowledge without love only produces pride. 1 Corinthians 8.1, Paul had already brought up this point. Knowledge makes arrogant, but love edifies. Another translation says, knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. And I love that. Because you can have all of the knowledge. You can have all of the insight. You can be so right. You can have all of your facts lined up. And if you are right without love, listen, you're still wrong. If you're married here today, I'm going to let you build your own application for that one. So... (laughs) (laughs) Listen, knowledge is really important, but so often we are drawn to grow our capacity to know things more, more than we're drawn to grow in our capacity to love people. Does that make sense? So often we're just after knowledge. We want to know, right? We want to understand. We want to glean. And so, so often we're, we're growing in our capacity to know things over growing in our capacity to love people, right? We pursue more and more knowledge. We read a lot of books. We listen to a lot of podcasts. Why do we do this? Why, do we, why are we constantly seeking to grow in knowledge? One commentator put it this way, and I really liked. He says, widening our capacity to know things immediately transfers to power, But widening our capacity to love people immediately translates to service. And one is far more attractive to our flesh, isn't it? 
Listen, before we speak, before you and I speak into someone's life, and we're going to have opportunities throughout our journey in life, we should ask ourselves, am I seeking to love this person right now? Is what I'm about to share with them from God's heart, is it there to build up? Is it intended for growth and and for the good of this? Or do I just love to hear myself talk? Do I just want to get my opinion out there? You know, to be honest, many people are drawn into ministry today, vocational ministry, because they like to hear themselves talk. It's possible, church, to love your gift way more than you love people. And the question should be, are we seeking to impress people or are we seeking to love people? And it's very hard to do them at the same time. Are we using our gifts to serve others or are we using people to serve our gifts? Now listen, this is heavy, convicting for sure, but this is Paul. He doesn't hold back anything back. He goes on to say at the end of verse 2, he says, And if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. Faith to move mountains. Like no doubt Paul is referring to Jesus' words. Remember if, you, if Jesus was speaking to his disciples, this is right after a man brought his sick son to the disciples saying, Hey, would you heal him? And they couldn't. And so the man's like, well, I'm going to go to the source. And so he brings his son to Jesus, and Jesus heals the boy. And, the, and later the disciples said to Jesus, like, why couldn't we heal, heal this man's son? And Jesus said to them, because of the littleness of your faith. For truly I say to you, if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move. And nothing will be impossible for you. And Paul is saying to the Corinthians, you might even have this kind of faith, like the faith that Jesus is talking about. Mountains might be moving in your life and in your ministry, but if you don't have love, what good is it? Paul says, I am nothing without love. You know, these people that have this kind of faith are able to believe things and they happen. They exude tremendous confidence and it translates into accomplishing a lot of things. These people are ambitious. And listen, being ambitious is not, you know, wrong necessary. Getting, getting things done is not wrong. But if it's, if, if it's what drives you, and if it's not coming from a desire to love people, then listen, people are just going to be things that need to be fixed and not people to be loved. People are going to be viewed as things to be fixed and not a people to be loved. And broken people, if we're just driven solely by ambition, solely based on getting things done, we will see broken people as an obstacle to move out of the way instead of a person worthy of love. And all I can say to you this morning is I understand this on a personal level because the Lord has had to change me in this area. Because I was a person who was super ambitious in life and had a lot of drive and just, yeah, ambition, and yet I didn't counter it with love, and so I walked over people. I used people. I viewed people, slow people as obstacles or whatever, you know, just like, hey, you are in the way of that instead of like, 
No, they are the, they are the end. They're not the means to the end. They are the end. And we all have to be careful of this. You know, so often as a church, we ask the question, you know, what are we getting done? Like, what are we doing around here? But that, not, that might not be the best question. Maybe the better question is, is our ambition and drive to do, do things driven by love? Loving people is at the core of the work of ministry. The work of love isn't always the most glamorous work, but Paul is saying here that it's the most important work. Because we can accomplish amazing things. Again, we can get so much done, but without love, it is empty and it won't last in the end. Look at verse three. He says, and if I give all my possessions to feed the poor, and if I surrender my body to be burned, but do not have love, it profits me nothing. What Paul is saying is that you can live your life in such a way that could fool others into believing things about you that aren't true. He says, you could give all your possessions to feed the poor. Wow, right? We're just like, that's incredible. That sounds noble. He says, you can even lay down your life in a dramatic way in martyrdom. Wow, you would be a, a hero. People would write books about you. You would be forever remembered. But Paul says, if it's all done without love, what good is it? What good is it? It profits me nothing, Paul says. What is our motivation? Many believers think that Christian life, the Christian life is all about sacrificing, giving, and serving, right? You give your money, you lay down your life, you serve, you give, you sacrifice. And yes, that's part of the life, our life in Christ. But listen, if it's done without love, it's useless. If it's done without love, it's, it's just mere religion, and it will profit you nothing. If the reason yet you sign up to serve is because you're just trying to fill a checkbox in your journey with Jesus, like it's more than a checkbox. If you're just giving money and treating the church like a, like a country club, it's more than that. If love is not the motivating factor of what we do, behind what we do, it's just mere religion. It's empty and it's vain. Here Paul is emphasizing the necessity of character in the church. Why do we do what we do? That's a haunting question. Sometimes we don't even know why we do what we do. What are our motivations? You know, in our culture, we tend to celebrate people solely based on what they accomplish. And if they have character or good character, we're like, sweet, that's a bonus, right? We do that in sports all the time. We overlook certain things about someone's life because they'll get you to a champ championship. In business, we look at that. In politics, we look at that. In entertainment, it's like, yeah, but they're so amazing. We'll just kind of turn a blind eye to that. Again, our culture tends to view Good character is just kind of a throw-in bonus, if you, but it shouldn't be this way in the church because character is everything. Sometimes in the church, and I've seen this, super gifted people are given leadership responsibilities based on their skills instead of their proven character. And there's a serious possibility that an individual that is extremely gifted can at the same time bring spiritual harm to other people. There's a whole podcast series that got really popular the last couple of years about this very thing. Character was, was missing. Because listen, character and charisma are not the same thing. The means in which we do things matter just as much as the ends. And that's why the New Testament emphasizes the central role of love, 
Not the central role of gifts. It's the central role of love. And again, this isn't an either or. One doesn't compete with the other. One is just more fundamental to the other. One, we're going to see, makes things last forever, and the other one will eventually cease. And Paul is not saying, listen, you need to love instead of use your gifts. No, no, no. He's saying you need to use your gifts in love. One commentator said this, the gifts of Christ need to be accompanied by the character of Christ. So if we want to use our gifts to build up the body of Christ, they need to be defined and guided by love. They have to be fueled and motivated by love. And so the question is, and well, what does love look like? And Paul was no dummy when he wrote this because he's going to show us in verses 4 through 7. He lays out what does love look like? What does love not look like? Again, these are some of the most famous Bible verses in all of the Bible. It's important to note that the word love that Paul uses here is, is the word agape. It speaks of God's love. It's a, a love that gives simply for the sake of giving, never expecting anything in return. That's a, agape love. It's unconditional. There's no strings attached to this kind of love. There's no conditions. There's no like fine claws. There's no you know, small print. No, no, no. This is, this is unconditional, unearned love. He says in verse 4, love is patient. Or maybe your translation might say, love suffers long. And the idea, though, is it, love is long-tempered, or the literal meaning is far from wrath and anger. Not easily angered. This type of love does not retaliate. It's Jesus on the cross. Jesus is there. You know, he could have called down a legion of angels to come and rescue him. But yet he didn't. He was patient. He was long-suffering. First Peter 3 says, The Lord is not slow about his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. How many of you are grateful that the Lord is patient with you? Yeah. He goes on to say, love is kind. That is, let it shows undeserved generosity. It's others-minded. It's, it's linked to compassion and forgiveness of others. I think of Ephesians 4 where Paul would write, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving each other just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. He goes on to say, love is not jealous. Love for others doesn't resent you know, things when someone else gets recognition for the project that you contributed on. Or when someone else gets promoted or, or blessed instead of you. Adam Clark, the Bible commentator, uh, describes the heart which does not get jealous when he wrote this. They are ever willing that others should be preferred before them. Ever willing. Does that describe love? Wow. Agape love it does. Love, he says, he goes on to say, love does not brag and is not arrogant. You know, when you're truly loving someone or doing something out of love, you don't need recognition for it. You don't need the limelight. Love simply gives because it loves to give. And it doesn't become arrogant. Or maybe your translation says puffed up. It doesn't become proud. Let's look at verse 5 altogether. It says, love does not act unbecomingly. It does not seek its own. It's not provoked. It does not take into account a wrong suffered. He's saying that agape love, it's not rude towards others. It's not selfish. It's not easily angered or provoked. It's constantly forgiving others. He says, out of love, we don't keep a ledger on how many times that someone might hurt us or offend us. 
That's big because in our flesh, we're, we keep a ledger, don't we? Oh, and you did this on this day at this time and this way. And you know what I mean? Or like, I forgive you. And then we, we, they do, do something again. Oh, and we pull it out and, and you did this. And then it's like stacking, right? So every time that they reoffend us, we're not just reminded of the one offense that they just did in the moment, but all of the other ones. Paul is saying, burn the ledger. Burn the ledger. Put it in a paper shredder because love doesn't keep a record of wrong. Romans 12.10, the ESV says, love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. I love that. Outdo one another in showing honor. Could you just imagine if, if, if a church in Corinth don't definitely missed this, this element, but we're just like outdoing one another, just showing honor. We just want to love you and bestow honor upon, like to honor you in this way. And we're just like outdoing each other. Man, that would be amazing. I love that, outdoing one another. Verse six, love does not rejoice in unrighteousness. In other words, love does not rejoice in sin. Whether it's your sin or whether it's someone else's sin, love hates sin. Love does not rejoice when another person falls into sin. Sometimes you might have an enemy. You're like, and oh, they, and they fall and you're like, yes, love doesn't do that. Because remember, love doesn't keep a record wrong. Love forgives. Yeah, so love doesn't rejoice in unrighteousness. But he says, love rejoices with the truth. What truth? Immediately, I'm just thinking through this. I'm like, man, I think of Jesus' own words. He says, I'm the way. I'm the truth. I'm the life. Love rejoices in Jesus. The only way, the only truth, the only life. It doesn't rejoice in sin. I mean, why would it? Sin destroys <laughs> But it rejoices in the truth. It rejoices in Jesus. Why? I think, again, Jesus' words in John 10, the thief comes to steal and to kill and destroy. But I've come, Jesus says, I've come to, so that you may have life and life abundantly, or life to the full, one translation says. That's why we, re we rejoice in Jesus, not in sin. Sin destroys, Jesus brings life. Paul goes on to say in verse 7, love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Now, when we read verse seven, this does not mean that we accept everything as true or that you ignore people mistreating you. So often it's like, okay, I, does this mean I'm just supposed to be a doormat? People just walk all over me. I'm supposed to bear all things, right? Endure all things. No, no, no. Paul is simply stating that we ought to give people the benefit of the doubt until they're proven otherwise. Love believes all things. It believes the best about the situation. Sometimes we think the worst about the situation every time. What if we believe the best? Give the benefit of the doubt all the time. It hopes for the best. Even if the, you know, if the scorecard's not looking too good, it just hopes for the best. It endures with people no matter what they're struggling with, no matter how long their season of sanctification is taking. It endures with them. Like, come on. Like, I don't have time for this. No, it endures. Listen, I pray that, that Calvary Southeast will remain a place where people can come in and they can just fall apart and we're not going to be cynical about them. Some, and that's maybe been your story. Maybe you came here and you just fell apart and I just applaud our church for loving you. And I just pray that this place remains that space so people can come in and just like fall apart and we're gonna endure with them because we love. May we be a people, church, that doesn't write others off. But may we be a church that keeps the door open for redemption. 
redemption. Amen? Every commentator, you've probably heard this, but every commentator that I read this week on these verses said that Paul is trying his best to describe the character of Jesus in these verses. In other words, you can replace the word love with the word Jesus. Did you know that? Why? Because Jesus is the embodiment of love. Let me read it for, for you, to you this way. Jesus is patient. Jesus is kind and is not jealous. Jesus does not brag and is not arrogant, does not act unbecomingly. Jesus does not seek its own, is not provoked. Jesus does not take into account a wrong suffered. Jesus does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth. Jesus bears all things. Jesus believes all things. Jesus hopes all things. Jesus endures all things. Jesus never fails. Amen? And it makes sense to think of it that way, right? Because the definition of love is wrapped up in the person and work of Jesus Christ. And as you read those verses, you're like, man, that is what God is like, isn't it? Jesus is patient. Jesus is long-suffering. Jesus is kind. I think of Exodus 34. It says this, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. That's what God is like. But this is also what our lives ought to look like as well. And this is why we need transformation because you and I cannot do this on our own. We can't just say, I'm gonna be more loving today. That doesn't work. Listen, only the Holy Spirit can make that change in us. Only the Holy Spirit can take a heart of stone, the Bible says, and turn it into a heart of flesh. Only the Holy Spirit, only Jesus, really can give love to our loveless hearts. Only Jesus can transform us into a people who love the way that he loves. Listen, the aim of the Christian life is to so experience the love of Christ for you, like for ourselves, that it turns you and I into a person and a people who love. Like, I can't stand up here on a Sunday and say, church, be more loving. <laughs> like, just do it. Like, love your, love your wife more, love your husband more. Like, I can do it, but it won't do anything for you. It doesn't work that way. We have to first experience the love of God for ourselves first. And it's out of that place of an overflow that we can then love like he loves. Let me ask you this morning, have you felt the weight of how much God loves you? Oh yeah, I know God loves you. No, no, have you felt the weight of how much God loves you? When was the last time that you felt the weight of how lost you were apart from Jesus? When was the last time you felt the weight of, of your sin and just how far away you were from God, even on your best days? And how much God gave away for you to be reconciled to himself? When was the last time you felt the weight? How patient that he is with you. That he waited for you. That he was long-suffering towards you. That you deserved wrath and he gave you his grace. That he pursued you on your worst day. When everyone else bailed on you, Jesus pursued you. And even this morning, he's still pursuing you. He's pursuing you with his love. I think if Hebrews, the author of Hebrews says, Jesus, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross for you. 
for you and I. He took your guilt. He took your shame, my shame, upon himself. Why? Because he loves you, church. Don't forget that. Don't ever move beyond that. Don't ever start thinking that somehow you have earned God's love. Somehow that you are God are in good standing because you've attended church long enough or you've given enough or you've served enough. No, 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 no. He loves you because his love is perfect. You did nothing to earn it or deserve it. And even though you and I still wrestle with sin, that's not who we are anymore. Jesus has given us a new name. He calls us his beloved. We just sang that this morning. He calls us a son and a daughter. Listen, I want you and I to feel the weight of that this morning. Because it's not until we first experience the love of God for ourselves that we won't be able to fully and rightly love one another. 1 John 3.16 says, We know love by this, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But again, it all starts with understanding the weight of his amazing love for us. So he gives us a new heart, and it's out of this place of knowing how loved we are that it makes us able to love others. 1 John 4, in this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. He says, beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Listen, we are to love because we are loved. And we are to love like we are loved. God is patient. Amen? Hasn't God been patient with you? That one just stands out to me. I'm like, man, God, you've been so patient. Even on my best days, I think I'm just feeling my Wheaties and, and just doing my, my honoring God things. It's like, no, man, God's been patient. God's been a, very patient with me. Listen, God isn't cynical about you. He's not frustrated with you this morning. He's waiting for you. He loves you. He wants you to experience this love for yourself so that you and I would be a conduit of this love for others. Channel of his love. Verse eight, love never fails. But if there are gifts of prophecy, they will be done away. If there are tongues, they will cease. If there is knowledge, it will be done away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, the partial will be done away. When I was a child, I used to speak like a child, think like a child, reason like a child. When I became a man, I did away with childish things. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I will know fully, just as I also have been fully known. Paul says two things about the gifts here. He says that the gifts are partial and temporary. They're, they're temporary in this life. But love never ends. That's why love is the greater thing. The gifts are good. We need them. We should pursue them. We need to use them. But they're partial and temporary. It's love that's going to last forever. Now, I want to quickly point out that in verse 10 here is the single verse that is often used by those who say that spiritual gifts have ceased that they're no longer available for Christians. They would say that this verse, but when the perfect comes, the partial will be done away with. And some would say that the, the perfect, well, what does that mean when the perfect comes? That the perfect is referring to maybe the completion of the Bible, right? The canon of scripture, that when the scripture was complete and was finished, that there was no more needs for the gift of the church. And I disagree with that view because we haven't seen Jesus face to face when the canon of scripture was completed. 
But it's our view as a church that the perfect is referring to Christ's return when we're face to face with Jesus. In verse 12, Paul says, for now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I will know fully just as I also have been fully known. In other words, when Jesus returns, it's then that spiritual gifts will no longer be needed because we're going to be with Jesus. 1 John 3, 2 says, we know that when he appears, we will be like him. Why? Because we will see him just as he is. We'll see him face to face. You see, the gifts are the means by which we experience the love of Christ through the church until he comes. But when the perfect comes, Paul says, all mediated means by experiencing his love will come to an end because we'll be with the Lord. We will see him face to face, so we won't need all of these things anymore. But your gifts are needed now. (laughs) And he has gifted and empowered you to use these gifts now. They're, They're partial, they're temporary, Paul just says, but they're necessary. God is perfect, amen? But our use, I'm just gonna be honest, our use of the gifts sometimes are not perfect. And sometimes, you know, or or Paul here, let's just dive into verse 11. Paul here, he uses a metaphor of growing up to describe um, how we view our gifts. He says, when I was a child, I used to speak like a child, think like a child, reason like a child. But when I became a man, I did away with childish things. In other words, our gifts, uh, our use of the gifts are not static. We need to grow and mature into them just like we grow and mature as people. But As we're growing in them, we're going to continue to do just that until we're face-to-face with the Lord. Like, we're never going to just like, I've perfected in my gift. Like, I've just, I've kind of arrived here with the gift of knowledge. Like, I'm just good. I'm knowledgeable. You know, we're going to continue to grow. And so we're going to continue to mature, like he says in verse 11. And he rounds out this chapter by saying, but now faith, hope, love abides these three but the greatest of these is love. The greatest of these is love. William Barclay said, faith without love is cold. Hope without love is grim. Love is the fire which kindles faith and it is the light which turns hope into certainty. Paul is simply saying to the church in Corinth that without love as the motive and goal The gifts are meaningless. If you lose love, you lose everything. If you are about using your gifts so that you sound spiritual or you look spiritual, but it's not driven out of love for the Lord and love for others, stop. (laughs) Let love be the motivating factor behind your gift. And if it is, and and if you allow love the enriching, the edification, the building up, if you allow love to be that motivating factor, it will be a blessing to the church. Church, we will see the supernatural. We cannot lose love. That's why he says the very next verse in chapter 14, next week, but he says, pursue love. Pursue love and yet desire earnestly spiritual gifts. But Paul says, pursue love and desire gifts. Now, sometimes 
Church, as we learn to step out in faith and exercise these gifts that we've been given, and each one of you has been given a gift, it's going to be messy sometimes. We're not perfect, right? We're not perfect people. We're not always going to operate in our gifts in a perfect way. And sometimes, unfortunately, we're going to mishandle our gifts, and we need grace for that. Sometimes we're going to try things in faith, and we're going to fail. It's, it's not going to work, but... If we're pursuing love in all of it, then God is still going to bless and use our gifts despite our imperfections in them. Church, to put Christ's love on display in our church, we need your gifts. We need you to what not need? The Lord's not contingent on us needing anyone, not even myself. The Lord desires you to operate in your gifts. And a lot of conversations this week, some of you have asked, I don't know where I'm gifted. I thought I was gifted here, like, you know, decades ago. I just don't know. And this is what I want to encourage you as, as you're in home group or you're just in the lobby. It's like, if you see something in someone, would you point it out to them? Say, man. I just see this, this in you. You're just always willing to give this, this word of encouragement, exhortation. I just see that, right? I recognize that in you. Man, I just see that you're always just there in the trenches to help and serve. Like, I see that in you. I just wanted you to know that's a supernatural thing of the Spirit that's done that work in you. Could we do that for one another? I think just to help us grow in maturity. But we need... And the Lord desires to use each and every one of you, like we learned last week, not just a few on a stage, but every single one of us. And so this morning, let's ask God for his gifts. Let's open ourselves up to the Holy Spirit and see what he might want to do through us. But above all, let's pursue love. Amen? If you want to make your life count, church, If you don't want to live your life in vain, a life of love is never wasted. I want you to know that. It's never wasted. May love be the thing that sets us apart as a church. I I think we have, I think, I hope and pray we have a good reputation in Portland and our city. I pray if we have any reputation, it would be, man, Calvary Southeast, they're a church of love. Why would I say that? Like, I want you to know, like, shouldn't we be about the truth of God's word? Well, yes, truth in love, right? But like, again, going back to Jesus, all men will know that you're my disciples. That's what we want Portland to know, that we're followers of Jesus by our love for one another. May we be known by our love for one another. So when there's times where, man, I... Pastor Ryan really missed it and he didn't operate correctly in the gifts, I'm gonna be loving and gracious to him. Because love believes all things and hopes all things. Oh, Ryan really blew it here. I see that he's trying. He wants to, he wants to really see the Holy Spirit move in the church. I'm gonna be gracious with him. And, I'm, and I want, church, I wanna be gracious with you because you might blow it as well, but may we be loving towards one another, desiring love, pursuing the gifts though, seeing the supernatural. 
Thanks for listening to this week's study in the book of 1 Corinthians. If you're ever in the Portland area, we would love to have you visit for one of our services. For more information about our church, you can visit our website at ccseportland.com. We hope you've been blessed by this study. Stay tuned for our next series coming soon.